Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Guys, listen, I'm so grateful to be a part of, of this church with you and so grateful for what God is doing in our midst. And before we get started, can we just say hi to everybody joining us online at Jeffco Jail. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Before we get into this message today, just have a couple announcements. One, we are doing some baptisms after second service. We have 10 people scheduled to be dunked in the name of Jesus and publicly declare that they are buried with Christ, raised to live again, and will return. When Christ returns, they will go with him one day soon in the rapture, which might be right now. It wasn't, never mind, we'll just keep living, that's all right, that's all right, it's okay. But anyway, it's so, so exciting. Uh, you can stay around and join uh, us with that. We had 12 folks get baptized a couple weeks ago as well. And so we just want to continue to do the work of God what he's called us to do. But also want to let you know, next, starting next Sunday is starting our 21 days of prayer. And if you've never joined us in this, let me encourage you to do that. And you can follow along with our app, Faith Arvada. You can jump on there. We're going to have all the prayer topics together. We're also going to be communicating when we're going to be gathering and because we're going to do some prayer nights here in the Family Worship Center. So let me encourage you to do that, Faith Arvada. Also, you can put your prayer requests in there so that when we do gather, we can pray specifically for those things. We're just going to believe that God is going to meet us over the next 21 days and transform us and change us and do something incredible in our midst. And I'm totally fine for God to do whatever he wants, and I know you are as well. So guys, listen, we are concluding this series on the seven churches and the letters from Jesus to the seven churches. And we've, we've looked at the first three chapters of, and into four now, chapters of the book of Revelation to look deeply into what Jesus was saying to these real seven churches that were in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, but what we started this was off with saying is that as we look at these letters that Jesus wrote to these churches through the Apostle John, is that we're going to find ourselves in these letters. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. We're also going to find, <clears throat> excuse me, not just our church, but we're also going to find ourselves we're going to find us sitting in the pews of these churches, and we are going to be challenged. And this series has been great. It's been punchy. It's been uh, convicting. It's been uplifting. And this today, as we conclude this, will be some of the same. It's going to be very convicting to many of us. But also, you're going to sense the love of Jesus Christ that's drawing you closer to him today. That's what I know about our Savior. He saved you. He redeemed you because he wants to move in your life. He wants to transform you. I know this has been a very difficult year and continues to be difficult. I know there's a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen on November 3rd. And there's a lot of thoughts about what's happening here. And, and, and is this, you know, the beginning of the tribulation that Revelation speaks about? Is what's happening in our city? What's going to happen in our nation? What's going to happen in our world? But it's so important that you understand that nothing takes God by surprise. Amen? So you need to anchor yourself in the reality that the God that we serve is the God of the universe. He is the God that looks at time from it not like 
this way. He looks at it like this way. He sees it all at once. He knows what he's doing. Yes, we as Christians need to be engaged in stewardship of our nation. We need to vote with the ideas that God would lean towards. Here's, here's the truth, and this is a little sidestep here. Just so you're aware, God is neither Republican or Democrat. I hope you know that. God, God, God does not choose a side of Republican or Democrat. God is on his own side. He is his side. He, he is the one that, that establishes. And so whichever one for Christians, whichever one party or whoever we're voting for is leaning towards more God's side, that's who we vote for. And so as we lean into this, we must know this though, regardless of the outcome, Jesus is on the throne and the church will move forward. Amen? So important we understand that. But today, we're going to be challenged by this incredible letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea. This is one of the, the final churches that Jesus wrote the letter through the Apostle John who was banned on the island, or the island of Patmos and Jesus appears to him. And Jesus tells John, I want you to write this letter to these seven churches. And people would come and visit John and they would take these letters and then they would distribute them around to the seven churches. And we are going to be challenged. But before we get into the letter, it's important you understand the context of the city. Just like if someone was writing a letter to us or if God was writing a letter to, to us, it'd be important to know what was going on in our community, in the world. The, the year of 2020, it would bring a lot of context to know what is God addressing. And so this city, the church in Laodicea, actually Laodicea and the church there is an incredibly wealthy city and church. Matter of fact, there was the banking industry that kind of boomed there. And they were very wealthy. They were actually so wealthy when an earthquake came and wiped them out in AD 60. Instead of allowing Rome to give them money to rebuild their city, they said, uh-uh, we got this. We're going to rebuild it ourselves. They used their own money. And if you were to walk the streets of Laodicea, it would look beautiful. The streets would be gorgeous. They'd have amazing buildings. Their shops would reflect what wealth really looks like. I'm not saying it would look like Vegas, but if you've ever been there, you walk around, you think, wow, this is really spectacular. That's what it would be like walking the streets of Laodicea. Not that I've ever been to Vegas, but I've heard about that before. Anyway, so you, you would walk and you'd see it all. But also, this is something very interesting as well. For ladies, you might appreciate this. They were, they, they, were very, they were known to be very fashionable. They were trendsetters in the fashion of the day. And I don't know like how many different color of robes you can get, but that's what I'm thinking. They just wore robes. But they were trendsetters. They were very wealthy. They were, they were kind of like the Rodeo Drive of Asia Minor. And everyone looked to them and looked up to them. But as wealth boomed in the city the people of the church also grew in prosperity and wealth. And so this is the city that they are in. But also something that's important to know that the city of Laodicea did not have its own water supply. Well, they did, but it tasted really bad. The water there was not very good. Some of the scholars have, have found some documentation over the years that when people would visit Laodicea, they would taste some of the water and it was so bad that they would actually like spit it out of their mouth. It was like yucky, nasty. So here is Laodicea. They don't have any water. So they bring water in six miles north, which is hot water, healing water, full of minerals from Heropolis, which is six, out, six miles north of them. 
And they also bring cold water from the mountains of Colossae, which is actually the church. We have a book in the Bible called Colossians that was written to those people in that area. But it was a mountainous area. So they brought in beautiful, clear, crystal, clear, cold water. And so you had the hot water in the north. The south, in the south, you had the cold water. And they brought the water in to the city. And so they were also, as they brought water in, they were also known that for their medicine. They were famous for their medicine. They were most famous for a mineral that was found in their area that when you mix it with water, you could apply it to issues of the eyes and it was salve on the eyes that would heal their eyes. So this is what they were known for. And it's important we understand the context of the city. And this city was booming. The city was wealthy. The city had hot water in the north, cold water in the south that they were able to bring in because they were wealthy. They were also a city that their water did not taste very good, and they knew it. They were also a city that was pretty self-reliant. They got, listen, we got this. We, we, we don't need any help. And the church grew in the midst of this. And Jesus writes them a letter to his church in this city, and he has some concerns. He addresses some things in their lives personally, but also in the church. And I want you to understand the context of that because you see how brilliant Jesus is because he is brilliant. He's the master teacher, how he weaves in their own context to the letter to them to address things in their lives. And so we want to be open to what God has to say to us today. We want to be open that Jesus speaks through his word that is still relevant today as it was then. That his word today is living, it is active, it is sharp, and it cuts us and heals us and encourages us to set us on a path to be everything that God's called us to be today. And I want that in my life. I, I don't want to live my Christian life and just like, yeah, I'll just get by. I'll just kind of be the, the, the nominal Christian. No, I want the word of God to be the center of my life, of my mind, of my marriage, of my home, of my relationship. Because this world is going to pass away one day and I'm going to stand before the Father. And I want to honor him. But I want to make sure that my life is wrung out on this earth for the purposes that God has for me. And I want that for you as well. So we want this word to speak to us. So let's get straight into Revelation chapter 3. This is the letter from Jesus written to the church in Laodicea. And this is what it says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and he's telling John, write this. These are the words of the amen. Now Jesus calls himself the amen. What amen means is so be it. Let it be done. Jesus is basically saying, listen, these are the words of the one that when I say something, it means it's happening, it's done, I'm the amen. Also, Jesus says, I'm the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He introduces himself as, in other words, I have the right to speak into your life. So important, so many times we forget that Jesus actually has the right to speak into our lives. And he reminds them of this. He's the ruler of creation. And he goes on to, to say this, I know your deeds, and you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, everybody say lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What's Jesus saying to them as a church? Remember this city? Remember they had the two sources of water, hot and cold? Think about this for a second. Hot water has value and purpose. 
cold water has value and purpose. The one type of water that doesn't have value and purpose, especially if it tastes bad, is lukewarm water. No thanks, I'm good. I've heard teachings before, and I'm sure you have as well from this passage, that, say, that would say that God wants you either hot for him or cold towards him. That is not what that scripture actually says. Nowhere in the Bible does it support that type of idea. I know it was a teaching maybe a while ago that helped, you know, made people feel bad. You better get, you better, you know, get on fire for Jesus because he'd rather you be hot for him. And if you're not there yet, he's going to puke you out. That's not what Jesus is saying. You cannot find anywhere in Scripture or in the Bible that God would ever prefer humanity and those he created to know him and be near to him. To be drawn towards and to be growing in our faith, you can't find anywhere in Scripture that says that he wants us cold towards him anywhere. He wants us warm. He wants us hot. He wants us growing. So what's Jesus saying? So in those days, hot water was seen as therapeutic. So he says, I'd rather you be hot. What is that? Therapeutic, healing, life-giving. It has great value. It has great purpose. It has great use. Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold, which is the cold waters that he's referring to from Colossae, which they know this. And what is cold water? Cold water is useful. It preserves life. It's refreshing. When served a a glass of cold water, it meets your needs. It's life-giving. It had value. It had purpose. But the type of water that has no purpose is what he talked about, lukewarm, nasty water. This church that he was writing to, they'd started off great. They'd been planted there. They'd been planted by really a disciple of Paul, and they had started there, and, and they were growing. They grew, the church grew in notoriety. I mean, they were the hottest church on the block, man. They were selling the most hot dogs on the street. And they were killing it. They were doing great. And they began to grow. They they began to be acknowledged. They began to have great influence in the city. Everyone knew the name. Oh, you go to that church. Wow, that's awesome. They're a pretty sweet church. And as they grew in popularity in the city, as the city financially prospered, the people prospered. I mean, they they were growing. Magazines and church growth Blogs were writing about the church in Laodicea. Hey, come on. And people were showing up. And how, how do you grow your church? What are you doing here? Well, look at your facility. Wow, look at that LED wall. Dang, how do we get one of those? It was great. They were, they were killing it. And they began to enjoy being known. The church that originally was known as reaching people in the city, planting other churches, reaching the lost, being a light wherever they worked as church members, bringing people to Jesus. Somewhere along this way, the, the way, the church that was humble, the church that was grateful, the church that was, that was doing what God had called them to do, the church that was fully reliant and following Jesus in their lives, somewhere along the way, they became self-sufficient because of their success. Because they thought, hey, listen, we got this. We know what we're doing. Somewhere along in the way, they became enamored with their own names, with their own impact. They began to believe their own press. And the church that once was on fire for Jesus, meeting the needs as a hot 
spring of, of healing and therapeutic and, and warming and, and all those good things. And maybe the church that was cold and brought refreshing and life and preserving to the city, they had no longer, they were no longer doing those things. Their focus had shifted from making the name of Jesus great to making their own names famous. They went from talking about how great Jesus was to talking about how great they were. Anybody ever been around somebody like that? That while you're talking to them, it just seems that they just talk about themselves the whole time, how great they were. If you say, hey, listen, you know, yeah, I did this. They'll give you a better story every time. Come on, Rachel, let's be honest. Anybody ever talked about, yeah, that's right. They're always upping you on your story. You're like, well, you know, I hurt my foot. Oh, yeah, I broke my whole body. Here I am. Like, oh, oh I didn't know that. Well, no one knew it because I, I don't show pain very well. So, you know, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to. Like, you, there's always somebody who's got a better story, who thinks they're better than. And after you leave that conversation, are you like, man, that was, a, that was a great conversation. You're like, yuck. They just talked about themselves the whole time. This was the church in Laodicea. And their once vibrant spiritual lives had shifted from not being vibrant to actually believing they were vibrant, but were not. And according to this text, Jesus is addressing these things. And they, they who were living from their past and talking about how great they used to be, the amount of people they used to reach were no longer doing this. And according to this text, this nauseated Jesus. This church had lost the stark reality that actually they were nothing without Jesus. They'd forgotten that. They saw themselves as self-sufficient. They didn't need the help of anyone else, including God's. This church crossed the dangerous line of believing they were something really special and that God is really lucky to have them in his family. They were self-sufficient. And what happened when they became self-sufficient is they started to forfeit what God originally called them to. And that's what I want us to look at today. That when we become self-sufficient, when we think, hey, listen, I got this, God, thanks, I'm good, even we drift and don't even realize we're doing it. When we do that, we forfeit what God has for us. And there are three things that I want us to learn from that this church forfeited because they drifted away from Jesus into more self-reliance and self-sufficiency. They were focused on them. And when we drift from dependence on Jesus to dependence on self, we forfeit the things that God has for us that actually bring us incredible life. So when we become self-reliant, the first thing we learn from this church is number one, we forfeit God's, we forfeit our God-given purpose. As we've already heard, there was a purpose for a hot water in those days. Purpose for cold water. But there was no purpose for lukewarm water. Jesus was saying to them, you have followed and been following what makes you feel good. You've been following the praise of people. You've doubled down on the things that kind of get your name in the papers and get you looking special to everybody else. You've followed those that give you notoriety. You've followed or maybe you've, you've gone, on, gone all in on a purpose that you think is actually good for me, but it's not. You've lost and you've forfeited your purpose. 
And Jesus said, that makes me want to puke. Makes me want to puke. The actual word here. When Jesus said I, uh, uh, that I will spit you out of my mouth, is not the word like you would put water in your mouth and spit it. It was the actual, you, he was throwing up. It nauseated him. Have you guys ever been next to somebody who maybe started to throw up? You ever comforted somebody who was throwing up in the midst of it? You started to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do it too, right? I was thinking about this as we were studying, as I was studying this. It's interesting that God put something in us that somehow this whole throwing up, vomit, puking kind of thing. I know you're like, okay, Jason, we get it. Okay. Somehow in us, if we hear it or smell or, <laughs> or hear the horrific pre-projectile noise, we're like, get me out of this room. I'm gone. It has some weird effect to us. When uh, Cheryl and I were actually, story time, so I'm going to tell a story real quick. When Cheryl and I were missionaries, we came back to the States for a, a missions conference. It was in New Orleans. There were all these pastors and missionaries there. So we were just back networking and, and going to this, this conference. And um, we were sitting kind of in the front row, like in this area during the conference. It was an evening conference. And so we were there, just a good missionary family. We had our six-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son, and, and we're there just kind of hanging out and, and being just, you know, missionaries. That's what you do. And we're, we're, we're there visiting. I was speaking to a couple churches. So it was good. So we're sitting there, and it's a special service. So we're sitting up front, and all of a sudden, my six-year-old daughter, Ellie, begins to make the dreaded noise that every parent fears deeply in a church service, right? Especially in, your, in the front row. And it was the, the gut-wrenching pre, it's going to happen, right? So all of a sudden you hear, what? Right? And we're sitting there. So my wife, who's like mom of the year, grabs my daughter, gets her out into the aisle. What was funny, there was this pastor who was sitting on the row with us. When he heard it, he was like running for the hills for his life. Like he was like out the, out the pew, like he was gone. So my wife grabs my daughter. She's making her way to the, to, to the exit. And it was a pretty large church similar to this. So we, she was running out there and my daughter just can't hold it anymore. And so like any good mom of the year, mom takes daughter's face, shoves it into her dress and continues to walk as she throws up all over over her. Come on, give it up for moms, right? Come on. Amazing. It was, it was, it was like this traumatic thing that was happening. Why, why was it this? It just happened. Nobody in the room, it wasn't like they, they didn't, it was just ruined. Like the room stunk. It was just one of those things. Get her out the, the back door. The, for, the poor pastor who was trying to preach was like, I've lost the room, right? It just was terrible. There's something in us that just, we're good. We're good with, with throw up and it doesn't sit really well with, with us. This, what Jesus was saying, is the same word we would use to throw up. When this nauseated him, that they were fixed on themselves and self-reliant. They had lost their dependence on him. And it nauseated them, him because they had lost their usefulness. They were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. They no longer had a purpose. They no longer, they had forfeited their purpose. They were no longer useful. And they thought they were. 
And this made Jesus sick. And this is what happens when we drift away from Jesus to self-reliance. When we think, Jesus, I got this. Jesus, I've been walking with you a long time. I'm good. This is what happens. And so the Lord wants to remind us today that he wants you to fulfill your purpose. That God has a plan for you. That he birthed you and he, he called you and he redeemed you and he saved you. He went to the darkest place that he would have to go to reach you and to redeem you. Not just because he wanted you in his family, because he wanted to put in you a purpose that will carry you for the rest of your life. He wanted you to join his purpose in the kingdom on this earth. And these people had lost it. But God today wants to remind you his purpose still remains. And in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to restore that. The second thing that this church forfeited was number two. They forfeited their life-giving passion. And so when we drift from Jesus and our dependence on him, we forfeit our life-giving passion. They thought their passion was what they needed. They thought their passion was, was, what, was of what God wanted for his kingdom. They were passionate, though, about the wrong thing. They thought, you know what, we're going to be passionate about being known. So they, they maybe had a marketing campaign to make themselves known. They were passionate about their big buildings, passionate about popularity. They were passionate about being able to do large events. Yes, this is what we're about. See, look at our building. They were passionate about doing these things, and they thought the outcome was going to be life-giving, but actually it was nauseating and death to them. They thought they were living out their purpose, but they were useless. And their passion was bringing, they thought their passion was bringing life to themselves. They thought their passion was, was being what the community really needed. But Jesus says, what, what are you doing? That's not why I called you. They thought they had it all together. Matter of fact, Jesus says this out of verse 17. He says this, you say... I am rich. You say I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is pointing things out in their lives that they did not see. They were blinded to these things. They thought they were rich. He's saying you're actually poor. They thought that they were the, the, the talk of the town, but they were actually wretched and pitiful. They thought they saw things very clearly. Jesus says, you're actually blind. They thought they were clothed in the garments of good works. And Jesus says, actually, you're naked. It's so important that we understand that when we drift away from Jesus, we lose our life-giving passion. Jesus said, listen, you, yeah, you, you think you have everything you need. You think your stuff is what's important. Jesus said, I don't care about your stuff. I care about your soul. I care about your purpose. I care about your passion. I care about you living the life that I saved to be lived. They were living for things that were human, living for things that was temporary. And Jesus gives them some advice. Because this is what Jesus does. When he speaks to us as his children, 
He acknowledges some things. He points some things out, and then he gives us his advice on what steps we can take if we want to step back into why he called us and why he redeemed us. He wanted them to step back into it. And so he gives counsel. And anytime Jesus gives counsel, we need to listen up. He gives advice. Anytime Jesus gives advice, we need to listen up. And this is what he says in verse 18. Once he's just showed them that they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, he says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes, you can have white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. You can see the comparisons here of the city of Laodicea and even the mindset that had worked its way into the church. And they thought they had real gold, but it was really fool's gold. They thought they had the latest fashion and the, the nice things to wear. They thought they were the trendsetters, but actually it was nasty clothing and God wanted to give them white clothes. They thought that they were above board and everything they were doing was, was great and they were clothed in the good works, but Jesus says, actually, you're naked. They thought they could see things clearly, but they were blinded. And here's the question. How do you buy gold from Jesus when he just said that you were poor? How do I give Jesus something that he just said, I, I basically have nothing to give? And what Jesus is doing and is inviting you and me back into this understanding that the currency that purchases what is eternal, that purchases what, what God himself wants to give us to clothe us and to heal us and to open our eyes, the currency that we can exchange to receive these things is the same it's always been. According to the Bible, it is when we give our lives to Jesus, when we give him ourselves, when we put our faith in him and only him, when we lean in and give him absolute and total dependence and we give, lay our lives at his feet, it is then that he exchanges to us the gold that really matters. He clothes us in his righteousness. He heals our eyes and he restores us. It's something so important for us to understand. Jesus doesn't ask you to give him what you don't possess. He just asks you to give him what you do. That might be broken. That might be pain that might be disappointment that might be emptiness but he says that is enough if you will just come and lay your lives at my feet I will restore to you your past your passion and your purpose that's what he's saying we don't have the resources to give God to buy his gold and Jesus lets this church and us know today that if we will give him our naked vulnerabilities. We will give him our fears. If we'll give him ourselves, that he will remove the blindness from us. What is this blindness? It meaning, meaning this, we think something's important when it's not. We think something is true when it's a lie. We think what matters in life is one thing, but Jesus said, that's not it. You're living your life for the wrong purpose and the wrong passion. We are blind. And Jesus says, listen, if you'll just give yourself to me, I will heal your eyes so you can see clearly what is true. You can see clearly what is life-giving to you. And I will rekindle your purpose. Jesus says, I will stir up the passion that you realize that you've lost. 
And Jesus invites us closer to him today. To take a step to say, I'm no longer going to live for my own ego. I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to give my life for him. Maybe it's today you find yourself realizing you've lost the passion that you used to have when you followed Jesus. Maybe you've lost the purpose that you used to kind of burn in your belly and you're finding yourself today, it's empty. What's the answer? It's the same it's always been. Give your life completely and wholeheartedly to Jesus. Don't be discouraged because you're realizing, man, you know, the Holy Spirit has revealed some things in my life. Don't be discouraged. The fact is this, he revealed it to you because he loves you. And he just simply says, give your life back to me. All of us start off following the Lord, passionate, purposeful. But somewhere along the way, we get, we get seduced or we drift into one way or the other. And the passion we have for God wanes. And the passion we have for the house of God wanes. And the, and the purpose that burns in our, in our bellies to be the light in the midst of darkness has gone away. Jesus says, give yourself to me and I'll restore it. Jesus loves these people and he loves you. And so he begins to speak to them. He begins to discipline them. And nobody likes discipline. Listen, I grew up in a home that my parents gratefully followed Scripture and disciplined me. And thank God they did. But in the midst of it, I never was like, thank you, Dad. If I did, it was sarcastic, and then I would get disciplined again. But do you know this, that the discipline of God to you is a sign that you're actually one of his kids? Did you know that? Did you know that when God disciplines you, when he begins to show things in us, reveal things in us that we're like, oh, and he begins to lean in and we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we feel that discipline, that's a sign that you belong to him. That's why Jesus goes on to, to say them after he's just talked to them and just rebuked them and just disciplined them. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So those he loves, he rebukes, and he disciplines. Matter of fact, even in Hebrews it says that if God does not discipline you, what that means is you're like an illegitimate children, child that doesn't have a home, that doesn't have a family. It is the discipline of God that marks you that you belong to him because he wants you to live the life that he paid for. He wants you to live the life of purpose and passion that he redeemed you. And Jesus says, I, those I rebuke and discipline, I love. He was reminding them of his love. See, when Jesus disciplines us, when he reveals things in our life, he's not like, I just wanted to show you you were wrong, so figure it out. No, no, that's not what he does. He reveals them to us. And the truth is this, you, we can never confess and ask for forgiveness of things that we don't see is wrong or sin. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You can't ask God to forgive you of sins and compromises that you don't see as sin or compromise. It is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he shows us, oh wow, I've compromised. I've sinned. And it's in that conviction moment that Jesus says this, 
Now repent, and I will restore to you what's been lost. It's the beauty of a father who cares for us deeply. Jesus tells them, it's, now listen, I, I'm rebuking you because I love you because you're my children. So I want you to be earnest, and I want you to repent. One of the, the other translations about this whole idea of being earnest is simply this. I don't want you to continue to be indifferent. I don't want you to continue to be apathetic. So he's saying this, be earnest. Stop being apathetic. Stop just going through the motions. Stop just being like, oh, it's okay. Just stop that. I don't want you to repent of that. And I will restore to you your purpose and your passion. Passion looks like something in our lives. They had stopped being passionate about being a light. They had stopped being passionate about sharing Christ and serving and giving. They, they no longer were passionate about the house of God and the church that God had called them to. No longer excited to come and worship God. It was just like, yeah, I go to church. And then when you come in and they worship, eh, yeah, it's okay. I know, yeah, God's the God of the universe. Love you, God. I, I, know, I know, God, you, you sent your son to save him. Okay, thanks, appreciate that. And their passion had drifted. Passion looks like something. And their passion was gone. That could be many of us today in this room. Following Jesus, we've just become apathetic. It's just what we do. I go to church, but I don't really think much about him anywhere else. I come to worship, and I don't, I don't need to lift my hands I don't need to, even though Scripture says that you would lift your hands in the sanctuary. Even though Scripture says that, that you would sing a song and, and give, give God a shout to the Lord. No, nah, I don't need to. I'm good. He knows. It's fine. And we become indifferent and apathetic. And Jesus is inviting them back into remember the beginning. Remember when he saved you. Remember the passion that burned in you. Remember the gratefulness and the thankfulness that he saved you and redeemed you. Remember the purpose you felt. And Jesus says, be earnest. Make a decision to be passionate and repent and lay your lives in front of me. Very interesting when Jesus said to be earnest, he was truly getting at an action of their lives. He was getting at a sense of expectation. And they had no longer cared about the things of God, no longer cared about inviting people to the house of God, no longer cared about, yeah, I go to church, but it's all right, that's fine. I don't need to tell you about it. They had lost their purpose, they'd lost their passion. This is what Jesus was addressing. Passion for God is about being excited about the things of God, the people of God, the house of God. And so the question is, has our passion been lulled into indifference and are we no longer earnest about the things of God, about the person of God, about the mission of God, about our, our passion is no longer, we're not cultivating that. We're just going through the motions. 
when I was studying this week, one of the things that I was deeply challenged is this. I never want to live my life in such a way that makes Jesus nauseous. That somehow I would just go through the motions. I'd be good, Jesus. Thank you. No, I'm, I got it from here. The Lord invites us to rekindle this passion, rekindle this purpose. And it's a very challenging word to all of us here today. He wants us to walk in our purpose. He wants us to be filled with passion for him. And this is what he's addressing to the church. This is what he is addressing in our lives. And because they've drifted away from Jesus, because they had become apathetic, because they had become self-reliant, they forfeited another thing, which is number three. When we do the same, we forfeit the experience of the presence of God. I love the heart of Jesus as he speaks to them. They didn't even realize that Jesus was no longer in the room. They had been lulled to sleep. They didn't even realize that their passion was gone. They didn't realize that their purpose. They were just having, they're like, wow, look at our building. Wow, people, people acknowledge me. I go to this church. It was a, it was a brand on their, on their life instead of who Jesus was. They no longer longer came to worship God and expected his presence to show up. They no longer understood that the verse that says where two or three are gathered, that the presence of God is there, that he's healing, and he can heal the sick, and he could raise the dead, and he could deliver those who are in bondage. They had forgotten all about the presence, the tangible presence of God that wants to come and move in their midst. They just didn't care anymore. And they had forfeited the presence. But listen to the heart of Jesus as he was inviting them to be restored. I love his pastoral heart. I love his father heart. Listen to what Jesus says once they realized, once he showed them that they had lost their purpose and their passion and his presence. He says this, Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus say, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Listen, Jesus is talking about his church. He's talking about the church in Laodicea that belonged to him. He purchased them with his own blood. It's his house. And here is Jesus who purchased them, who died on the cross for them, who called them to be what they were, who gave them a purpose, gave them a passion, loved them in the midst of their brokenness and pain and lulled them into his love and his arms. And here's Jesus knocking on the door of his own house. 
can, can, can you hear me? Knocking on the door of their own lives, of their own hearts, of their own families that he once was the center of. Now he's, can, can you hear me? If, if you let me in, I, I, I'll come in and I'll, I'll eat with you and I'll, I'll meet with you. Can I come in? They'd become so obsessed with themselves. They didn't even know that Jesus had left their lives and the building. They'd become so impressed with how self-reliant they were. They didn't even notice that when they locked the door that Jesus was on the outside of it. And he's knocking. Can I come in? So many times we can be deceived and blinded just like he said. We think we're in the light, but we're in the darkness. We think we're living passionately for Jesus, but we're lulled into apathy. We've shut doors and locked doors and we haven't even heard the Holy Spirit convict us. That's why Jesus says, here I am. If anyone hears my voice, does anyone hear my voice? Does anyone hear my voice? Remember when I saved you? Remember when I healed your broken marriage? Remember when I met you in your darkest moment in the middle of the night and I brought peace to a home filled with fear? Remember when, I, when I, you lost a loved one and I gave you comfort? Remember what I thought of you when I died on the cross for your life? Remember the passion you used to have for me? Remember the purpose I redeemed you and placed in your life? Remember the time we used to spend, anyone hear me? Does anyone hear me? They locked him out. But then he comes with this promise today. That if you've locked Jesus out of your life, if you have compromises, if, you, if you've locked him out of your marriage, out of your home, if he used to be the center of your life, if he used to be the reason why you woke up in the morning and you were grateful for the grace and the power of God moving in your life, if you remember the passion that you used to have, He says, if you let me in, I'll meet your needs again. You sit down and we'll eat together. I'll meet you right here. If you will open the door. What do you, let me rephrase that, what door do you need to open today? that the Holy Spirit is showing you right now, I have locked Jesus out. And he said, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. And I'll meet with you and I'll eat with you. And I'll help you to finish victorious. And I'll set you on the throne with me. But can you hear me? 
Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. If you're hearing his voice this morning, church, it's an acknowledgement that you're his sheep. But then the decision is yours if you'll open the door. Today, he asked the question to us as a church, can you hear me? This church, they wanted Jesus at just right outside. So if we need you, we'll call on you. But hang on. I don't want you to call the shots in here. I want to do what makes me feel good, what makes me, gives me press, that makes me feel successful. Jesus, thank you. But when it's ready, we'll ask you. But right now, this is my life, my church, what I want. He says, can anyone hear me? Open the door. That's what I believe Jesus is saying to us and all of our lives here. Open the door. Unlock the doors that you've locked me out of. Open the door. And I will come in. And I will meet you. And I will restore your purpose, your passion. And you will again experience the presence of of me that heals you, that restores you, that removes the guilt and shame, that begins to work in your life, and you will once again be filled with me and a purpose that gives you reason, gives you an understanding of why I redeemed you and called you, and that you again will leave a counterfeit joy and purpose and passion and step into what is real. That is only found in Christ Jesus. What does Jesus want you to open today? What door does he want you to open? The Holy Spirit showing you because he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, today we confess that we have been consumed with our own lives. We have become apathetic to what it means to be a follower of you. You established us and you opened doors for us. And then once we begin to walk in your blessing or walk in your joy, walk in your purpose and passion, we then just lock the door. And you're standing at the door of our lives today, knocking. At the door of our families, knocking. At the door of our marriages, knocking. At the door of compromises. At the door of substances that we're using. And you're knocking. You're asking the question, can you hear me? So Lord, today as your children, we confess, I can hear you. I can hear you, and I open the door, and I invite you in. Just right where you are right now, just begin to invite Jesus into those areas that you know you've shut the door. Just tell him right now, I invite you in. I invite you in. Come into my life. 
restore purpose and passion. Come into this church, God. Restore why you established us, why you died for us. Forgive us, God, for chasing after being known or chasing after things that brought us notoriety. Forgive us, God, by hanging our hat and our pride on, on a building, on a name, on a bridge that goes over a, a, a highway. Who gives a rip? We want you, Jesus, in the center of our lives, leading us, guiding us. Lord, we want you back in the middle of our homes, restoring relationships between father and son, father and daughter, mother and son, mother and daughter, husband and wife. We want you, God, opening the door and moving into the areas of our life that we've compromised, that we've compromised sexually, God, and we've, we've given ourselves too far and we've violated, and Lord, we've locked you out of the area of our sexuality. Today, we open the door. Won't you come and come in and heal and restore? We've locked you out of the area of our finances, and Lord, today we open the door and say, Lord, come in. We've locked you out of the area of our passion. And today, Lord, we step into all that you have for us. That you would restore us. That you would do with us what you want. That you would fill us with bone-rattling fire and passion and purpose. That we today, God, would make a decision to be the bride that is white, that is holy, that is righteous because of you. We open the door to every area of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, that you do come in. You do prepare a place. You do sit down and eat with us. You do give us healing and substance and nourishment. And you do carry us. And you will carry us as we open those doors to be victorious with you as we sit in heaven next to you on your throne reaping the benefit of your faithfulness to us and our one decision to open the door. So today, we open the door and give our lives to you. Just remain with your heads bowed just for a moment. If you're here today and you realize I don't know Jesus, and I need to give him my life or I need to rededicate my life to Jesus. I have shut him out and I'm opening the door right now. I want to open that door for him to come in my life and restore me. If that's you today, nobody's looking around. I want you to raise your hand right now to give your life to the Lord. Just raise it right. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Hold it up. Amen. God bless you. Amen. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. We're all going to pray a prayer together of recommitment to the Lord. And if you raise your hand, if you pray this prayer and believe it, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so church, if you'd be so bold for us to pray this with passion today. And let's all, all pray it together as though we mean it. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, 
I open the door of my life and I invite you in. Come into my life. Have your way. I confess that I have sinned. I give you my life today. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to change me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for giving me a purpose. Thank you for giving me a passion. And thank you for filling me with your presence. From this day forward, I will no longer close any doors on you. You have full rights in my life. And I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for renewing me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today? Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today, so important that you do this right in front of you is the Connect card. Grab that card, fill it out, and drop it in the white buckets when you leave. Also, if you want prayer today, if you want to write a prayer request down and want the staff to pray for you, we'd be honored to do that. Also grab that Connect card, write your prayer on that, and drop it in the white buckets when you leave. Let's all stand to our feet today. I'm so grateful for you that you are a people that have allowed the Lord to speak to us and challenge us through these letters. It's been challenging. Everybody say amen to that. It's been life-giving, hasn't it? So we will continue to move forward with what God, but I'm proud of you. I'm proud of week after week coming back and leaning into God and being challenged by God. We're all on a journey. We're all in a different place, but we're all moving closer and closer to Jesus. And I'm proud to be a part of this church with you as we pursue Jesus together. If you can, just lift your hands. I want to bless you today. Lord, I bless this church today in Jesus' name. God, I ask you that you would fill every person fresh and anew with the power of the Holy Spirit, that they could live victorious, overcoming lives, that we together would lean on each other to be the church you've called us to be. Now, Lord, I ask you today that you would go before them, that you would protect them, that you would keep them, that you would open doors that only you can open, you would close doors that you don't want to open, that, God, you would guide them, Lord, I pray that you would restore to them everything the enemy has stolen. And today, God, we walk in confidence and faith that we don't have to fix everything. We just have to open the door. So we open the door to our lives and we gladly walk in the prosperity that you have for us. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing day.